0: You caffeinated up, got your coffee, hopefully. This is my second round, all right? So I'm good. <laughs> I am good. So glad to see you guys. Uh, if we haven't met, my name's Dustin. I'm the teaching pastor here. And it has been an awesome, awesome day already. I told the 845 service, man, for them to come out on a cold, rainy Sunday morning is, uh, man, that's a, that's a big jump to get out of bed. Uh, but, man, I just love what God is doing here. And as you can imagine, Over the last six months, as as we've been planning and kind of thinking uh, to this day, obviously, I've had like build up stamina. I'm like, man, I'm going to be zonked after today, you know, but um, how awesome it is of what God is doing in this place. And so as we've been thinking, you can imagine just there's been a lot of different emotions. There's been excitement, there's been doubt. You know, there was a part of me that had nightmares of 845 come in and there being like five people. (laughs) And it'd be like, hey guys, you wanna have a Bible study? So, um, and not not sure what was gonna happen um, in that. So there's been lots of emotions of doubt and fears and anxiety, but also joy and excitement. And just in the last two weeks, as this has really come to fruition, here's the word that I really landed on for for me. What I feel like just totally articulates what I'm feeling. It's just grateful. I'm just so grateful for what God is doing in this place. His faithfulness, it is hard to believe. I was just talking to Joe, one of our band members. It's hard to believe that just a few short years ago, This place was a bunch of studs and gravel, and we were writing prayers on two-by-fours of what he's going to do in this place, and to think that today is a day that we have three services, and um, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for God doing what he's doing. I think it's easy for me and for you to take for granted God's work as not to dog any church, but there are churches all over the upstate that are dying and closing their doors. And the life change that we're seeing happen across our campuses is a God thing. It really is God changing lives. And so I never want it to be like, hey, it's about me or a band or a production team. It's God. And I'm so grateful for that. The second thing that I've thought about that I just want to articulate as your teaching pastor here is I'm grateful for you. And to see leaders step up and serve at 845 this morning, um, that the way that you love me and my wife Sloan and our family, uh, you love us well. And I just want you to know from our heart, we are grateful for that. We are so, so grateful um, in the way that you encourage and love and joke and roast and, <laughs> you know, talk trash. I love it. Okay. Uh, I love it. And it is just what this place is about to love one another and encourage each other so well. So I just want you to know from from your pastor's heart, so grateful for you. And I know we had a great first service. This is um, great, third service. And just to put it in perspective, the last two weeks, two weeks ago, we had high 370s um, in attendance. I, I know it's not all about numbers, but this perspective last week, we had 392 in attendance. And um, I can't believe that y'all didn't invite eight more people. <laughs> that we could have broken 400. <clears throat> I'm hoping today's that day, you know. Um, but just one of those things. And just to kind of show you, at Christmas Eve, we had 400. So what God is doing is amazing. And man, I just, I want to give him credit. So before we dig into God's word this morning, I just want to pray and just thank God. And I hope that you would just join me in that together. Let's pray together. Father. We're just so thankful. You are a God of life and of change and transformation. And what you are doing is in spite of us. And it's all about you. And so, Father, as we have dispersed and and really opened up more seats and opportunities for people to attend in different capacities with an 845 service, while it might feel weird at first, God, we know that This is just an opportunity for more people to be reached that need to know you. And so, God, as you are faithful, let us continue to be faithful. Let us invite and share and to show people who you are and how you are the God of life change. That while this place is a special place, what's more important is is you and who you are and how you love. And so, God, we're thankful for that. And we just are grateful for your hand at work. It's in your son's name we pray. Amen. Uh, If you have your Bibles, turn with me to John 15 this morning. As you're doing that, let me kind of address a couple things. One of the things that Catherine said is this uh, little devotional companion book out in the lobby. Make sure you grab one of these on your way out. Um, Starting next Sunday, uh, we are going to be starting um, a series walking through the book of Acts. Now, don't let this overwhelm you but it's going to be an 18-week series. You're like, good Lord, (laughs) you know? But we're gonna walk through the book of Acts, this incredible, incredible book of the early church. Um, And so this is a companion to help us walk through that. In the past, we've done like little reading plan postcards to walk through, but this is an incredible guide. There is one devotion for every week that our teaching team actually wrote together. And so the best ones I wrote... um, No, just kidding. They're all great, okay? But as we start that, what we want in our heart is for you to read uh, before the Sunday. So start this week, read week one. And starting Sunday, we will kick off the series. Now, what we're gonna do is we'll do the series. We're kind of breaking it up. We will stop a few weeks prior to Easter, do a little Easter series, get us um, a breather out of the book of Acts. Then after um, Easter, we will return. And so use this as... Uh, a supplemental guide just to help you walk through. So grab one. And as Catherine said, if it's just going to sit on your dash or it's a coaster or something like that, don't take one, all right? Uh, We don't have one for every single person. So if you feel like you can share, it's a great family devotional. Um, And so use it that way. Grab one of those. Sound good? Awesome, sweet. Well, we're concluding our resolution series uh, this, this morning. And we've been talking really about making resolutions to grow and mature in our walk with Jesus. And one of the things that, I don't know if you feel this way, I think one of the hardest things about following Jesus, and and when it comes to really following him and being like him, one of the hardest things as a follower of Christ is loving people well. To love people like Jesus, to be his eyes and his heart is this something that is just in our nature really, really hard to do. It comes easier with some people and harder with others. Can I get an amen, right? And there's a lot of different variables that play into us loving people well. The first variable that I would say is that we're just selfish in nature. We don't, you know, kind of the long um, history saying that we've heard over and over, treat people the way you wanna be treated. Oftentimes, we only treat them the, um, a certain way if they reciprocate what we what we want them to feel and how they're loving us and stuff like that. And so a lot of times the way that we love people is based on how they love us, right? And if it's reciprocal or what they do for us, we've had to walk through our middle school kids and friendships of, hey, does that person, is there, are they really a good friend? Because it seems like they're just using you uh, for things. Um, and so oftentimes we are, we don't love people well because we're just selfish. We care about ourselves and we want to, to make sure where our heart is satisfied. And so that's a variable. Another variable is that it's hard for us to love people um, at times because we don't agree with them. Maybe it's political stances, maybe it's religious views, maybe it's decisions that they've made that we're just like, nah, I don't love that person. Now i really growing, um, when, you, when you're raising kids and having your kids grow up, you can really see the tension in this. If you're a parent of young ones, you know exactly what I'm talking about. When you go and hang out with a friend, that parent's exactly different than you, all right? If, they, if they're opposite of you and it comes and, you're, and you walk away, you're like, we're not hanging out with them again. You know what I'm saying? We're not going on, on kid play dates on that. They need to spank those children, you know? Or why do they let them just talk to them like that? You see, they don't agree with you on parenting techniques and so it's hard to love those types of people. It's hard for us to love people that are different than us, that have a different lifestyle or look different and act different and have different choices. It's hard for us to love those kind of people or to expose. We like to kind of be comfortable in these things. We, we know we can experience this. It's hard for us to love people that have hurt us. If there's baggage, if there's something that has happened in the past, I'm all for healthy parameters. But at the same time, there are people in our, relation, in, our, in our sphere of influence that we have a relationship with that we've kind of just stiffed armed on the Heisman, you know, and we've said, You're not a part of my life. You hurt me then, and it's not gonna happen again, so I don't love you. And then to be quite frank and transparent, because we're all thinking it, oftentimes it's hard for us to love what I would say stupid people. <laughs> you with me? It's okay to laugh, all right? But here's the thing we say they're stupid, but the reality is, we're stupid too. We make mistakes. And so who are we to judge? Who's wise, who's stupid, whatever the case may be. It is our responsibility if you are a believer for people to see Christ in us. It is our responsibility as followers of Christ for people to know us by the way we love. I'm not saying that's, that's easy. But that is a byproduct of our relationship with Christ. Why? Two things real quick before we read John 15. One, Jesus commanded it. We see in Matthew 22 that a lawyer stands up and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? He says to love your Lord your God with all your mind, soul, and strength. And then he says the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. It's a command. We are called and commanded to love other people as ourselves, And we're really good at loving ourselves. Second, Jesus clarifies it in John 13, just a couple of uh, chapters before what we're going to read this morning. He says, By this, all people will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. How we love each other and how we love other people is a mark of discipleship. And so what we're going to see this morning is that Jesus provides further instruction of why love is important, how we are to love, and this command that's, um, you know, that he, he says again, we need to love people. We need to love people. So let's read this together. Chapter 15, starting in verse 12. And we're kind of piggybacking on last week. There'll be a little bit of overlap and I'll get to that in a second. for all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. So there's a transition. He said, I'm not calling you servants because I don't really know what the master's doing, but I'm gonna call you friends. You know what I'm doing. You know how I love. Verse 16, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should abide so that whatever you ask the father in my name he may give it to you. These things I command you so that you will love one another. So here's the context of this. And Dallas did a great job of setting this up. There's an overlap here. Jesus is in the final days of his life. He's in the upper room with his disciples and it's really kind of catching the disciples off guard that even though Jesus has been talking and really setting up and preparing them for where he's going and how he's about to die, they don't fully grasp it. So they've committed roughly three years to following Jesus. They're in the upper room the night before he's about to be arrested and and sent to the cross and he's in the upper room and the first thing he does is wash the disciples' feet. Now, can you imagine this moment? And so the disciples are like, no, 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 listen, here, Jesus, okay? You don't need to wash our feet. We're going to wash your feet. He said, no, I have to do this. It's this incredible, humble act of service that Jesus does. <laughs> then at the table, Jesus tells the disciples, one of you will betray me. And they're like, no, 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 we won't do that. We're your disciples. He said, no, 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 one of you will betray me. We know later that's Judas betrays Jesus with a kiss, and then he's arrested. Then, at the same table, he also talks about Peter's denial. You will deny me. <laughs> no, I won't do that. I love you. I will die for you. And he's like, no, you will deny me three times. It happens. I mean, think about the tense moments that are around this table. Jesus says, where I'm going, you cannot go with me. They're like, what? What, what are you talking about? And then we get to this point where we started last week, where Jesus opens up this illustration of a vine and branches, something that they totally would have understood because of the cultivation of vineyards at the time was normal in their society. It was a part of their economy. So he's talking about this and he's saying, I am the vine and you are the branches. Abide in me and I in you and you will bear much fruit. That was last week and Dallas did a great job of talking. That doesn't mean that we act like Christians. It's a transformation process. It is an identity piece that we have to recognize Jesus is the vine, I'm the branches. And in the same way, Jesus is kind of hitting on that and you're no longer just servants. Now you're my friends if you do what I have commanded. And what he's saying is I'm commanding you to love. Now think about this and I don't mean this in like some kind of new age universalist approach, but love is a powerful thing. It's a really powerful thing. And I think it's a, a thing that our culture, unfortunately, has kind of watered down and overused, right? So this is kind of my funny, one of my funny stories. When Sloan and I were dating, and she hates when I tell this, but this is the truth because she's a better woman than I am. When we were dating, we agreed to not, tell each other, I love you, until we knew we were, to, we were gonna get married, all right? Because we didn't wanna be, and if you're a parent of a middle school or high school, you know what I'm talking about. We didn't wanna be that couple that says, I love you, and you love, I love you. You know, I'm like, no, you don't. You, you don't love anything. You're just infatuated. You have the hots for, you know, you're flirting. Whatever. I was like, love takes sacrifice, hard work, putting other people's needs, and, and middle school and high school, especially for the guy, the frontal lobe is not fully developed until like the age of 30-something, you know? And that's a stretch, okay? And so one of those things is like when y'all are like, I love you, you're my girlfriend, you're my boy, I just love you. And I'm like, no, you don't. You don't even know. You don't even know. You're infatuated. So we didn't want to be like that, right? Because I probably told every girl I dated I love her on the second date or something, you know? Because, you know, whatever, I'm a teenage boy. But when we, when we got, uh, sorry, dating, we're, we're not going to say that. So I remember we went on a double date and she uh, was living at a friend's house. Uh, we long distance dated. In the summer, she was living at a friend's house. And it was like just an awesome date. It was like the perfect timing. So we were in my car and I'm dropping her off. And I don't remember all the details, but it was probably like six months into our relationship. And I just remember looking at her. It's like, hey, I want to tell you something. I love you. And I don't even remember her Sloan made eye contact with me. <laughs> I think she just like looked right out the window. And she said, Thank you. <laughs> and she got out of the car and went inside. Now, as a guy, guys, you know, I was like, I blew it. I came on too strong. <laughs> I went too fast. Maybe six months wasn't long enough, you know? Maybe I should have waited to nine months. What? I, I didn't know. So I didn't go home. I didn't get any sleep. I'm like, Question, I ruined it. I scared her off. She's gonna be like, Oh my goodness, he's so, he's a freak, you know, like, wants to commit too soon. All those things. And it took several months before Sloan said, I love you back. And at the time, being totally transparent, I was disappointed and frustrated. But here's what I've learned over time. I've learned to appreciate her waiting because she didn't just say, I love you out of obligation. Because she recognized love is powerful. It's powerful to say And it's powerful to do. And what Jesus is communicating is this love beyond just infatuation and I love you and you love me and husband and wife and anything. It is an eternal love. It's so much bigger than what we think of. And so, a couple points this morning I just want to point out as we walk through this. One, what we see and what Jesus is saying is the Father is the source of our love, the Father is the source in this. Think about this. We cannot love other people well without God in our life. Now, it wasn't on the screens. We didn't read it, but let me kind of revert back to last week, starting in verse 9. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and, and abide in His love. So think about this. It is a domino effect, Right? It's a domino effect that God is essentially love. Jesus abides in his Father. We abide in Jesus, and love is a byproduct of our life. So God is the source. The Father is the source. I'm reminded of 1 John 4, verses 7 and 8, when John writes this, Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves, get this, whoever loves has been born of God. You are saved. You are a believer. You have salvation in Jesus. So whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Now here's a humbling verse. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. In his very nature, and, and character, God is love. He is the source. And if God is not the source of how you and I love, then we're not going to be able to love other people the way God wants us to love other people. Oftentimes, the source of our love is either from ourself or from other things that satisfy, that we think satisfy. Our success our, our uh, money or our things or possessions, and we find a source of love in those things. And so, what we try to do, I mean, we think of things like you've seen parents that try to buy their kids' love. They want the materialistic things to show and communicate love. And the thing that Jesus is saying is, yeah, those things feel good. And I'm not saying don't shower your kids with things, but ultimately, The full satisfaction of eternal love is rested in our relationship with Jesus because Jesus abides in God's love and he is the source. He is everything. And as he is the source, we live our lives through that, being connected to the vine and abiding in that. Love naturally comes out of us. Or else we live by a self-abiding type love that is temporary, doesn't satisfy, and really eventually runs out or whatever you want to call it, it doesn't equate to the love of God. The love of God is not self-abiding. It's self-sacrificial. It's one that says, it is not about me. It's about him. He's the source of my love. And so when he is the source, guys, we can love our spouses as Christ loved the church. If our source of love is somewhere else, we're not able to love our spouse that way. We're not able to love our kids the way God intended for you and I to love our kids unless God is the source. Now, we can try to make it and fake it till we make it and try to live this way and that way, but Ultimately, and I've said this before, when I'm not abiding in Jesus, when my walk with Christ is a little off, I snap more, I'm irritated more, and I I don't like my kids more. (laughs) You with me? And there are things that I say that are hurtful because I'm not walking with Jesus. So as we're walking with him and abiding because of his nature, that's who he is. And here is a truth I really want to resonate in your heart. Biblical love, what we see in scripture, biblical love is not an expression of how we feel, but instead, but instead the nature of who God is. Now just think on that. Biblical love is not how we feel. It's not based on our emotions and a moment or circumstances. Biblical love is not based, it isn't an expression of how we feel, but instead the nature of who God is because God is love. He is the source and we should live out of that love. So second, what we see, what Jesus is saying is that he is the example He says, um, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. And then he says, you're my friends. You're no longer just servants, you're my friends. And the very example of what Jesus did is he laid down his life for you and me. He was the example of this love. Now think, you can examine all of the gospels in the New Testament, and see, Jesus was this incredible example of how to love people well. And I get it, he's Jesus, he's the Son of Man. It comes a little bit easier. But he provided really a template and a way and a path for us to see how we are to love people. He was abiding in God, his Father, and for us to love people well. You see, Jesus shows up on the scene and he loves the outcasts, the prostitutes, the lepers, the people that were shunned and said, no, 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 don't talk to them. What does he do? He doesn't come and say, oh, you have leprosy? That's gross, get out of here. He says, come here. I know I'm not supposed to touch you, but let me touch you and heal you. But let's have a conversation. He breaks cultural barriers, like with a Samaritan woman, meets her at the well and says, you know what, I want, I want to give you life where you would never thirst again, a living water. I Man, he invites people in to this grander story, and that really is the gospel. The gospel is that Jesus loved broken people like you and me, and so we should love broken people like you and me. But in order to do that, we have to look at Jesus' example and abide in that. And Jesus put himself in some very uncomfortable positions where people didn't like it, and, but he was willing. So the question that I've, I wrote down that I'm wrestling with myself is am I willing to be uncomfortable to love someone that needs loving? To love someone who needs to see the love of God through me somehow. I don't know what that looks like. It's different, but am I willing? Because let's be honest. Sometimes I don't want to be uncomfortable. I don't want to have that conversation. I don't want them to, I don't really know what to say or be put on the spot or whatever the case may be. And it is through that, I want you to think about this, learning and just kind of dissecting my own walk with God. When we get out of our comfort zone and love people like that, Here's what I've learned. We've had to to rely on God's love more in those cases. So not only does God's love satisfy us, but through that process, it also sanctifies us. It makes us more like Jesus when we love people who are different and it's uncomfortable and it's hard. When we invite someone that didn't vote like us, doesn't believe like us, doesn't have the same lifestyle as, as us, when we invite them to the dinner table, it's hard, but it makes us just like Jesus. Oftentimes, we put a bubble and we're like, no, 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 no. Let's just, let's just be the neighbor that's like, hi, neighbor. Good to see you. Don't stop on my grass. I just mowed it, <laughs> you know, or whatever the case may be. Let us love people like Jesus. So, and I'm questioning myself. Am I willing to be uncomfortable for someone to see the love of Christ? And it's through that process, not only am I satisfied and I trust in the love of God, but it sanctifies me. It makes me more like Christ. And Jesus is saying, I lay down my life. It's sacrificial. It will cost you something. It will be uncomfortable, but you need to do it. And then finally, what we see is as we're abiding in Jesus and as we tap into him, to God as the source of our love, and we're looking at Jesus' example, our fruit is love. That's our fruit. Now, it's one of the fruits. If you look at fruit of the Spirit, there's a lot of different things. Love is one of them. What Jesus is communicating here, he, he gives us this example, and he says that you love one another as I have loved you. And then at the very end, I command you. All these things I command you so that you will love one another. And really how we love is rooted in who we love. It's this source of, are we getting the way we love people from God? And are we showing that, that people in our lives, especially non-believers, should see our life as believers and say, there's something different and they love, they always love. Now, I want you to try this trick this week, okay? And I'll just give an example. Have you ever been through a drive-thru somewhere? And let's just say McDonald's, all right? And you don't have to raise your hand because you're like, I like McDonald's, okay? But if you've been through McDonald's, I feel like every time that I've been through there, I feel like the drive-thru people are having the worst day of their life. You with me? There's hate in life. I don't blame them. The ice cream machine is broken, okay? But have you ever tried... I'm just being, don't be obnoxious about it, but going up and when you get your food or you make your payment, loving them well. And here's what I mean. Even if you're like, hey, how's it going? How's your day going? And they're like, it's okay. they're Like, man, I really hope it gets better. Or, hey, I'll be praying for you. Or, hey, I'm sorry to hear that, um, but I hope some good things happen. I'll be praying. Whatever the case may be. Have you ever done that? Because oftentimes those individuals are having a horrible day because all they get are complaints. My fries are cold. You messed up my order. There's ketchup on my burger, you know? What if you, and I'm using this as illustration because people are looking at us as believers and we can either be crotchety, you know, ununified Christians that have a beef about everything or we can love them well. Now I'm not saying be doormats and be walked all over, but I'm saying, let us love people well. It's a fruit of how we are in our relationship with Christ. Uh, In Matthew 7, Jesus says this of the disciples, you will recognize them by their fruits. You should be able to recognize a believer and a non-believer by their fruits. And earlier, as we read last week, um, in verse eight of chapter 15, he says, by this, my father is glorified that you bear much fruit. And so prove to be my disciples. Prove it. Prove it by the way that you love other people well. So here's how we're gonna close our time this morning, if you would, I just want us to have some time with just you and God. So if you would close your eyes, just bow your head. just in the stillness of the moment. I know we have a lot of things going on. There might be a lot of thoughts, but just you and God in this moment, just as you sit right there, I want you to contemplate and really wrestle with two things. One, what fruit are you producing? What's the fruit that you're producing in your life? If you take a hard look at your life, are you producing love, grace, forgiveness, compassion? Is that coming out of your life? Jesus said, bear much fruit. So what's the fruit? And the second thing that I want you to really think about is who is the one person, and maybe it's your one that you've been praying for about a year as we've been doing as a church, That you need to do a better job of loving. So, I'm gonna give it about 30 seconds or so, and just in the stillness of this moment, I just want you to talk to God. Maybe this is the first time you've talked to Him in a while, it's okay. Just talk to Him. What fruit do you wanna bear, and who do you need to love? Father, as we see in your word, you are the vine and we are the branches. And as we abide in you and you in us, love is a natural byproduct of the way we love people. And God, I know that we we have all failed in some way or shape in our life, but God, I pray that right now in this moment, as we check our hearts and as we come to you and respond to your word, God, that one, we could do a better job of abiding in you. So I just pray for the individual that's just struggling in their relationship with you, that today, as you spoke, that they just made a commitment to say, you know what, I need to be better. I need to abide in you so I can love people well. I also pray for the person that's here that they know they need to do a better job of that love, that they're holding on to hurt or pain, resentment, And they need to give that to you this morning. That today would be that day. And I pray specifically also for those that don't know you. They don't know your love. They don't have a relationship with you. Whether they're in this room or someone that we just lifted up to you, God. Father, use us. Use us in such a way that we speak love to others. And not just in the love of the earthly, worldly sense, but I'm saying an eternal love. One that authentically and genuinely cares about their salvation. That cares about the sin that is ruining their life, not from a place of judgment and to point it out, but to show them that there is a greater hope that is found in you, the vine. And so Father, let us continue to respond in worship and prayer. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. Let's stand, let's respond to Jesus. Feel free to continue responding where you're at or if you want to come down here. But let us worship this morning.